um, prepare by going to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, and uh, we're going to read in a moment verse 14, 15, and 16. So that's Ephesians 4, 14, 15, and 16. Everybody say this with me. Every joint. Every joint. Okay, so I'm sure that terminology probably evokes some sort of something in your imagination. Um, but you're going to find out what every joint is all about because it is critical to the body of Christ this morning. If you're ready, Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, let's look for that phrase in this scripture, every joint. Paul is projecting God's vision for the healthy growth of the body of Christ, what we should look like and what our function and operation should be. And he says that we may no longer be children tossed back and forth by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together or strengthened by every joint, the whole body held together, strengthened by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, functioning, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me read that phrase beginning with the part about every joint. From Christ the head, the whole body is held together, strengthened by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow itself in love. What an awesome thought this morning that the power for us to grow and to develop in every way that God wants us to grow is within us. But Paul is saying that we need to realize what the body is. We need to understand it and then we need to make sure that our individual lives or our part in the body in our life and in our individual life that we are living in recognition of the body and supplying the part that we're supposed to play in that. Now, let me start off with a, um, a statement that I think uh, I'd like you to just, just focus on and think about as we go into this message. And that is that more than we realize, our personal individual growth is largely affected by the collective growth of the body with which it is engaged. Let me say that again. Your personal growth as a Christian, more than you might realize, is directly affected and tied to the collective growth of the body that you're a part of. If I would break it down and make it another way, I would say that when God puts you in a body, the body of Christ will have a direct impact, the largest impact on each of the individual members so that their growth is going to be regulated and largely 
determined by the growth of that body. Now, being that we tend to be independent in our Western culture, some of you might have a problem with that statement. I tend to be a very independent person. And um, that statement is challenging to me. But I'm going to take a few minutes this morning and I'm going to share some things that I, I believe are going to be challenging for you. And that's good because it'll kind of stretch us, hopefully stretch us in a way that uh, will fit what God wants to do in our lives. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Think of that again because there's a formula. All of you are Christ's body and each of you individually are a part of it. So what am I? Who am I? I am a part of the body. Paul is laying out the identity that Christians need to embrace for themselves. There is the body of Christ. There is the person of Christ manifest in multi-figured, a multi-part body. Who am I? I am a part of that body. There's really one person that's going to lead the world to God and his name is Jesus. And that supersedes your name or my name. That supersedes your identity and supersedes my identity. Who am I? I am a part that joined to you and to you and to you collectively in the body that God's placed us. We form up a representation of Jesus, of the body of Christ. So here's a thought for you to consider. We are walking around with blessings with answers, with puzzle pieces, if you will, that others need in their lives. You have a treasure chest in your heart and in your mind, in your thoughts. And that treasure chest is filled with things that God has put in you. When you pray, the Lord would send by the Holy Spirit into your mind thoughts. He would allow to percolate up into your heart certain visions and, and, uh, and um, uh, contributions and blessings and things. And he puts them in there more for other people than he does for you. I want you to just think that you and I are walking around with pieces, puzzle pieces, to fit other people's lives. I know some of you, it's weighing heavy. I can see it in your eyes. You're struggling with that thought. And I'll tell you why you're struggling with it. You're struggling with it because most of us are very conscientious Christians, very conscientious about our faith. So we're always concentrating on our growth and, and overcoming and, and uh, being the person that God wants us to be. And so everything we tend to receive, we tend to think of it as something God's given me for me. And I'm not saying that isn't true. But if you really listen to what the Bible says about being the body of Christ, you'll quickly realize that God puts in each of us pieces and parts that are supposed to help and bless other people. In fact, I would go so far as to say that there are people around you walking around in need because you have 
what they need to answer their particular situation. So <clears throat> the more we ask the Holy Spirit to show you what He's put in you for others, the more you make a habit out of saying, Lord, what have you put in me today that I'm supposed to give to other people? Usually when we get before God and pray, Father, here's my need, here's where I'm at. Um, if we pray for other people, we usually pray, Lord, bless them, give them that, heal them. But we're usually not saying, Lord, what are you giving me to give that person? What are you speaking to me to share with that person? What is in me that can bless or help that individual? So oftentimes when we're praying, we're looking for what God is, is giving us for ourselves. But the more you pray and allow your prayer to be built around the idea that you're asking the Holy Spirit to show you what He's put in you for other people, the closer to God you're going to become. The more you yourself will grow in Christ as you grow on the behalf of other people. The more you'll realize your own purpose in life as a believer as you say, why do I exist for other people? How can I bless others in the body that you have put me in? 1 Peter says it like this in chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. As each of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. As good stewards of the multiple or manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak, as it were, the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. So what Peter is saying, he recognizes the same thing about the body of Christ that Paul taught about and that he recognized. He has the same view of the body of Christ. Lord, you've put gifts in me to help other people. And if you are going to be glorified in my life, the more I ask you to show me how that gift can help other people and use it to bless other people, the more you're glorified. God is not as glorified <clears throat> with the idea that we're all trying to develop our own spiritual life as much as he is when we are concerned about helping the spiritual life of other people. When we seek the spiritual upbuilding of the body at large and the other individuals in that body, that's when God is really glorified because that's when the gifts start waking up within you. Think about it. The gifts of the Spirit were really given to profit with all, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The gifts of the Spirit were there to profit everybody. So if you want to advance in life as a Christian... Let the part that you do in life be done to help other people see Christ's body rather than to see you as an individual part. Think about that for just a moment. When you go about your day, whatever you do, if, it's in your, if you have a work that you go to, job that you perform, you, all of us want to shine as a Christian. We want our light to shine. We want to take advantage of opportunities to share Christ, to share Jesus. Um, Unfortunately, most of the time, our witness 
is based in how well we are doing. We want others to see us as an individual shining. We think that our effectiveness as a Christian is me presenting myself or Terry saying, well, you know, I need to get my life together as a Christian so that um, I can shine for Jesus and I'll be a witness. People will see me and they'll see. But if you really, really look and take it in a whole what the Bible says, really what Terry ought to be saying is, Lord, what can I do to build up and better the body of Christ that I'm a part of? Because that is where people will see the light of the world shining is through the body. So the more you and I do what we do and contribute what we contribute for the benefit of building up the body rather than just building up ourselves, the more the light of Jesus shines, the more people see. You know, think about it like this. The world has seen individual excellence. Everywhere you look, there's no, there's no reason to dispute it. You know, you can, you can uh, put down sinners. You can say, well, they're sinners, they're corrupt, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is the world's done a great job of developing personal excellence in the pursuits that people pursue. So they've seen excellence. You and I are not going to go out there as Christians trying to show individual development and individual achievement that's going to make the world stop in its tracks and go, wow, I want to become a Christian because those Christians, look how well developed they are as individuals. That's really not what's going to bring people to Jesus because they can point to other people that are not saved that are just as developed or just as formed as you are. They can find people that are kind. They can find people that are powerful, persuasive, or any of those other things. They can see those things. But let me tell you what the world doesn't see and hasn't seen in 6,000 years. History has very little testimony um, of, a, of bodies or groups or communities of people that literally practice agape, the God kind of love. Those kinds of experiments in the world always end up in destruction, in division. They never succeed. Because in a sinful world, everybody is out for themselves. Everybody is driven in life by self-preservation. Only the body of Christ has the power to let the world see agape working in community. And that is what Jesus said will alert them to the fact that God is in the midst of you when they see you and I agapeing or loving one another. Can you say amen? So if you want to advance in your own life as a Christian, help the body be the thing that people see. In other words, when you do things, ask yourself this question. Do it this week. As you go about your day to do what you're doing, what I am doing, can I do that in a way that builds up the body? How is what I'm doing building up the body? Show me how I could put my, my activities into building up the body of Christ and, and helping people see the body of Christ. I don't want people saying great things about me. I want people saying, wow, that group of Christians, God is in the midst of them. It's not going to do any good for me to walk in and, and, and have people say, well, that person is really spiritual. Because everybody's going to see that and they're just going to go, well, that's an individual. That's a, that's a person. But when they, when they see 
the Lord collectively in the midst of his people, that's when people say God's doing something. So when you live to make the body of Christ manifest through all that you do, it changes the way you navigate through your decisions. It changes your decision-making uh, principles that you use. You will decide how you spend your money, how you invest your time, how you manage your relationships will all change when lifting up and strengthening the body becomes more important than lifting up and strengthening yourself. In fact, as every joint forms up, that's when the individual parts begin to operate in their function. The function doesn't occur until those parts meet up. You know, a foot had no idea what, what use or value it was until it met an ankle. <coughs> Does that make perfect sense to you? In fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, how strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. So there are all kinds of parts and different ministries and different functions. But until they're brought together and joints are formed between people and people work together and flow together and they, and they see that joining together as more important than their own personal achievements, that's when the body starts to grow. That's when the real gifts in you and I will begin to come out. Um, you know, you can talk about personal gifting and developing your purpose and those kinds of things that oftentimes Christian self-help books are written about. And they're really great. They really help people. They really help you to get focused and on track. But the reality is that the more you seek to be a functioning part of the body and make the contributions you make to help others um, shine and to see the body collectively shine, that's when you really start to discover what God has put in you because that'll start to come out. Those gifts will start to emerge. They'll start to come forth. Praise the Lord. And so I like the fact that Paul uses that phrase, how strange, how strange a body would be if it were just a hand laying on the ground. Wouldn't get much done. You know, it could be a fabulous hand filled with potential, but if it's not interconnected with the body, it's not really going to do much. So God says, basically, it's the body of Christ that has the light that I want the world to see, not individual super-Christians running around who have polished themselves individually. You don't go to church. You don't join a church. You don't become part of a church for the primary express purpose of polishing your own spiritual life and refining it to a, to a sharp edge or a, or a high point that supersedes everybody else. It's not your own spiritual perfection that should be the main thing that you strive for in your fellowship in the body. Because if it is, the body's never going to emerge. It's never really going to come forth uh, the way God wants it to. But when you and I come together and we say, I live and exist, whether I shine the way I want to shine or not, 
But if I exist to help the body shine and what I do is done to help the body look good, to help the church look good, then I'm really going to be fulfilling the function that Jesus said we should have as the light of the world. So God wants the world to look at the body of Christ, not just look at individual Christians running around saying, look at me, and, and if you look at me, you'll want to get saved. In other words, God is not growing individual, <coughs> excuse me, independent people, but rather an interdependent body. That's what he's trying to develop. If we would work as hard on our interdependent vision as we do on the ability to be independent of people, the body of Christ would be stronger, healthier, and, uh, and more fruitful. <coughs> In fact, when our preaching, um, and unfortunately, and it's unintended, I believe, in the, most of the time, but when our preaching projects the image of a mature Christian as a kind of spiritual island, and, um, and we write our books, preach our messages, teach our teachings, and it's aimed at, at refining and developing each man, each woman, to be the absolute best that they can be, the, the, the pinnacle of their potential achieved as a believer, all we're doing is we are simply developing spiritual islands. And when you put them all together, you just have a chain of islands. And what, you're, what we end up doing is we are creating dysfunctional organs. No matter how healthy that liver may be, oh man, uh, that heart is pumping, you know, and look at, the, look at that skin, that skin's beautiful, oh, those eyes are gorgeous, and all those parts. But until those parts live for the glory of bo the body rather than, than getting attention for how effective or how powerful they may be, and the body's not going to emerge. So the body only emerges when the parts say, everything I do is so that the body can be healthy and powerful. Um, and honestly, I really believe most of the time we are struggling and trying. Sometimes we try too hard to uh, achieve spiritual maturity as an individual. And it's not because uh, necessarily uh, uh, that we have a, a pride or arrogance or we want to um, outshine somebody else. It's usually out of an inbred sense of Christian accountability and responsibility. It's out of our sense of accountability to the Lord. We want to be the best we can be for Him. But in that effort and in, in that race to want to to be mature and to develop. We listen to messages. How can I run home and apply this in my life and grow and everything? And oftentimes, the more we do that, months go by, years go by, we tend to kind of stay the same. I, I see that over the years, as I look back over the decades, I, most believers, 99.9% .9 believers, basically kind of hit a place and stay the same. There isn't this, the myth of this, this constant, incredible development and growth of an individual. So for all the energy that we're expending in our teaching and preaching from the pulpit and everything, what is it achieving if the purpose is to continue to try to get individuals to be more spiritual? When the reality is, 
that the world is not going to begin to flood into the body of Christ like they did in the book of Acts when we read in Acts chapter 2 and the subsequent chapters after that. Because back in those days, it was the body that everybody was conscientious of. The believers were losing their own individual identity in the identity of the body of Christ. And you know, the persecution that arose in those days against believers helped them to stay focused on the body because they weren't interested in, in personal exaltation. They were looking for individual anonymity. They didn't want to be found out. But when the, collectively the church got together, began to worship the Lord, the power of God would fall because their hearts were to bless and to build up one another. That love just released the power of God that moved in the book of Acts that we read about. Today, our emphasis is on personal development. We've kind of borrowed a page from the world because the world is all about how many of love those weight loss commercials on TV? It really is. I, I'm impressed. I have to say, I'm pretty impressed when I, I see, you know, there, there he was or there she was, you know, 1,800 pounds. And now just drinking some shakes and eating that little diet, man, they just, they look like Tarzan, you know. I'm impressed by that. But, you know, everybody's chasing it and money chases it and, and people really believe if I can just achieve excellence, um, then I, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fulfilled. But the, but the Bible makes very clear that our true sense of fulfillment, the real happiness that you and I could have every day, is waiting for us inside the body. And the more we pour ourselves into the body, the happier, the more well-balanced we're going to become and, and find our own individual purpose. I want to talk for just a minute before we wrap this up about what I call the strange motive of ambition. In the world, ambition is an absolute critical must. You've got to have it. If you're any of you, uh, you go to work in a job where there's competition, you could lose your job if somebody's more ambitious than you. Um, ambition is not necessarily, not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's a ne necessary thing. In most things in life, you have to be a little bit ambitious. But in the body of Christ, as Christians, ambition is a really weird, strange motive for pursuing the things of God, personal ambition. It's all right to be, as Paul said, I'm ambitious and jealous for the Lord. I'm ambitious for His glory. That wasn't personal ambition. But we're talking about personal ambition, the need to be seen, the need to be heard, the need to be understood. I would say that is what characterizes ambition. In the book of Philippians, Paul <coughs> talks about a situation that was going on in the church that uh, has become very, very common today. But in the early uh, pristine virgin body of Christ, uh, it wasn't long before ambition began to show up in the church. And when it did, it was, it was really dramatic. It was uh, such a contrast to the spirit of Christ and agape that was manifest in the body. So Paul talks about how that as quickly as the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church, Satan came in 
through natural human ambition and begin to sow tears in the body in order to break down the effectiveness of the body to be able to drive wedges in the individual parts and separate the body into individuals rather than a collective body working in unity. And he's talking about it. And uh, you should read the whole, that whole section in Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to pull this one verse out. Paul talks about it and he says, Some people indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So in Paul's day, there were competing motives behind the preaching of the gospel. And they weren't found always by finding false doctrine versus good doctrine, but rather motives. He's talking about the weird ambition, the weird motive of ambition. He says, some people preach out of rivalry, competition. I can preach better than you. I'm more spiritual than you. I've got bigger gifts than you've got. I, I, you know, it, it, it just goes on from there, but you get the idea. That's rivalry or competition. And uh, you don't see it necessarily when it first introduces itself because it comes in through the heart and the minds of people. Does it doesn't kick the front door open and come in and says, I'm competition, I'm rivalry, and I'm here to infect the church. Um, it comes in, and, and in such a subtle way that you almost don't even realize that you yourself are being inspired by an inclination to want to prove yourself to somebody else, to outshine somebody else, or to make a point on the behalf of yourself in contrast to somebody else. So rivalry, and he says, some people preach Christ from envy. And uh, I don't have time really to get into it, but that can be very complex. The fact is that there are, there are people that will share the gifts that God has given them or express Christ or, or uh, teach or minister. And you can see it happening sometimes. Sometimes you see it on television. Sometimes you see it just in your daily uh, connection with other believers. But they'll, they'll share the gifts that God's put in their life out of envy. In other words... I have a need to be respected by people. The ministry of the Lord Jesus, sharing Christ, sharing the word of Christ, on any level, whether it's in a coffee shop with a friend or whatever, if your motivation is, I need people to respect me, I need somebody to look up to me, I have a need in my life to feel important, those are not illegitimate needs in and of themselves. They can be, to a certain extent, normal. We, we, we want to shine. That's normal. We, we want to glory. The Bible says, he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. But too often, our emotional or personality needs see an opportunity in the realm of spiritual growth. And if we could grow spiritually so that other people go, wow, I've never heard that before. Wow, that's really deep. Wow, look at the power of that gift. Or, 
or look at that person serving. You know, there are some people that work themselves into an early grace so everyone will see what a servant they are. You don't ever want to criticize serving or sharing. Paul went on to say, in either case, Christ is preached, and that's a wonderful thing. But he brings up this really weird condition that occurs in the body of Christ, that sometimes we're watching ministry up on a platform or on a stage, and you can't put your finger on it, but something's wrong, something's not right. You know, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a service and seen there's prophecy going on, there, the gifts of the Spirit are flowing, there's great preaching going on, but something, I can't put my finger on something is out of line, something isn't right. Sometimes, maybe more often than not, but sometimes what's happening is the person or the vessel is operating out of a need to be heard a need to be respected. They're using that sacred call of all of us to humble ourselves, walk in humility, and be poured out for the sake of others. Let me make it real clear to you using the case of John the Baptist. John the Baptist got to a place in his ministry, which, was, which he had tremendous recognition, when Jesus showed up, he just bowed out. He went into prison, they cut his head off, and he was done. But before that happened, John said, I must decrease, and he must increase. You see the motive that caused Jesus to say, there's no greater prophet than John the Baptist. He's got the greatest motivation of all. And that's what the, every member of the body of Christ needs to have that kind of motive. Can you say amen? So it's a really weird anomaly when you see that motivation in people. Um, it's hard to process it. It can be very confusing. What that does is that leads other people to be that way, to feel like to be competitive with spiritual things is what it's all about. And it inspires others. In other words, it sows and introduces into the body a kind of a spirit of independence that stops and blunts and blocks the move of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit's trying to move in the body among members that are supposed to be every joint. See, I'm not important until I'm joined up. I'm not significant. I'm not doing anything until I'm engaged with you, until you and I are engaged the way God has put us together, the foot with the ankle, the ankle with the leg, the hand with the wrist, and so on and so on. All those parts need to be engaged with other parts so that what they do, they are passing on their ability through those other parts so that ultimately there's just one real name that gets glorified, and that's the name of Jesus. Amen? So Philippians says in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so what if you were to get up in the morning and say, Who can I help today? Lord, who do you want me to bless? And I wouldn't recommend that you get up and you run around and you create your own list. 
of who you think needs to be ministered to and who you think. That's not what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit is the ner central nervous system in the body of Christ. He will definitely tell all of us. That's what it said in 1 Peter chapter 4, that uh, the, each of you has been given a gift. Use it to glorify God by ministering to other people. So you have to let the Holy Spirit tell you. But if you get up, uh, rather than wrestling with, Lord, you know, I'm feeling down today. I need help. I need... But Lord, who can I bless today? Who do you want me to give to? Try practicing that. Maybe not right off the bat. Maybe right off the bat you'll notice, wow, the Lord's giving me things to share with other people, the ways I can help other people. But I guarantee you if you make a point of doing that until you develop it into a habit, God will start moving in your life. You'll see the gift of God emerging and growing and manifesting in your life. And self-centeredness and a lot of the unhappiness that we experience will begin to fade. It'll just begin to fade away. That sense of who am I and purposelessness, or oh, I wish I could find my purpose as a Christian, that will begin to fade away. And what will emerge in its place is a sense of you as a part of the victorious body of Christ. So I'm going to close this by, by saying this, and it, it'll bring us to a point where we can take action and act on this. By the way, this is all part of function. The four F's, fellowship, focus, function. Functioning in the body of Christ is where we find out what God has given us to do. So the thought is that the Holy Spirit has gifted each one of you to build one another up. And I truly believe today that other members of the body have the help and blessing that you've been praying for and needing I believe today that God doesn't always meet our needs as individuals by directly giving to us through our own asking. But I believe God deliberately puts the answer I'm asking for in somebody else's heart. And they need to be obedient. Or guess what? I'm suffering. And you can... You can find this. If you read about the development of the church, you can see how the Apostle Paul was on his face praying, Lord, oh my gosh, you're Jesus. Uh, he's blinded. He's just had the Damascus Road experience. Three days he's fasting. He's a mess. And uh, the Lord doesn't walk in and say, let me explain to you. He could do that, couldn't he? It was Jesus that appeared to him on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his horse. So Jesus could have got him there at, the, at, at the, the other disciples' house and just continued the conversation. But he didn't do that. Paul was praying, asking for answers from God. What did God do? He went and got another believer. He went and got this other guy, spoke to him, and he said, I'm giving you a word. I'm giving you a vision. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you something to give. I want you to go and gave him the address. To this address, there's a man praying. And the Lord and, and, and Ananias said, oh, I've heard about that guy. He, he, you really want me to go there? I've appeared to him. He's a chosen vessel. Go to him and pray for him. And, and that's how the Lord worked in his life. You see, that's why the power of the Holy Spirit worked in that, that church in the book of Acts. It's because they understood the importance of ministering to the body. And that, and that it doesn't matter. You could be the Apostle Paul God doesn't give Paul everything. He gives a lot of other people the other parts, and they all have to integrate 
for that great work to be done. We talk about the ministry of the Apostle Paul, but it wasn't just the ministry of the Apostle Paul. There were a lot of people involved. And so in John's Gospel at the Last Supper, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you really are my disciples if you have agape, love for one another. Somebody had a vision one time of heaven. I thought it was really poignant. Um, and they walked into heaven's dining hall and there was this table just laden with the most sumptuous food and everybody in their you know, glory and white robes sitting there. The dinner was served and out came the silverware and you know what? The silverware were four-foot-long forks. And so the people grabbed up their four-foot-long fork, and guess what? They couldn't eat with it. And so after a while, people began to think, well, I'm, I haven't come to heaven. I've come to hell. This is hell. I'm sitting here at this table. I'm really hungry. Here's all this food, and, and I've got this four-foot-long fork. I can't possibly eat with it. But the body of Christ remembered the teaching of Jesus serve one another, use the gift I've given you for one another. And they took that four foot thing and reached across their brother's plate and they picked up some of that steak and potatoes and they put it in their mouth. And as they fed their people on the right and left, the people on the right and left of them fed them and eventually everyone was eating and everybody was filled and the body was shining with the glory of God. But nobody was feeding themselves. They were all feeding one another. And that really... You know, it really is heaven or hell. If they all sat there and got angry and frustrated because I can't, who can eat with this? It would have been hell. Or it could be heaven. It all depends on whether we are going to let every joint supply. Close your Bible, stand with me this morning. <clears throat> 